Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here together this morning. We thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us and we ask now that uh, you would open our eyes and our minds to your truth, uh, that you would transform our hearts and fill us with uh, the joy that comes from knowing that you're a God who loves us, who is with us and who, even in the worst of circumstances, will never leave or forsake us. At least we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you uh, this morning and welcome to those watching online. Great to see you as well. And uh, today we kick off our uh, new series in the book of Daniel. We're going to try the first half to begin with and then we'll come back to the second half later, uh, which if you know anything about the book of, the, of Daniel, know, you'll know that means I'm basically doing the narrative and I'm too scared of the dreams to do them too soon. Um, so, uh, but uh, let me encourage you to read the whole uh, book uh, and to have a, a, a go uh, as we dive deep. This uh, series inspired in part by uh, LA Kids, uh, my daughter. She keeps coming home from church uh, every Sunday and she goes, Daddy, Prophet, speak the word of God. Prophet, speak the word of God, which I assume is what they're learning in there, or she's very talented. Um, and so uh, uh, partly by that, but also because, uh, as you'll know, we've had a very kind of New Testament year so far. We've done uh, uh, Luke's Gospel. We've done Romans, which has been wonderful. But of course, uh, we believe, don't we, that Prophets do speak the word of God, that the Old Testament contains uh, God's word to us as well as the new, and that both uh, testaments uh, are, are part of our canon and valuable for us learning about who God is, about what he's done for us in Jesus, and about uh, what that means for us as we seek to live out our faith in the here and now. So that's why we're doing Daniel, uh, and as we kick off, I... I want to ask you a question. What is it that you think makes someone a hero? There's a saying in the, uh, in the, in the army that uh, you, in a crisis or in, in the heat of battle, uh, you don't rise to some sort of superhuman level of performance, you fall to the level of your training. So when, this, when the heat is on in the pressure of battle, it's not like sometimes some people just get this extra boost. No, no, you just need to be a well-drilled soldier. But when we think of heroes, we kind of think of the other way, don't we? That somehow there's these superhuman characteristics, bravery, conviction, courage, determination, honesty, in, in, integrity, um, self-sacrifice, selflessness. Uh, psychologists have done studies into what it is that uh, we think makes people heroic. Uh, and uh, those are some of the things that come out in their studies. And I think as we think about Daniel, you've probably got some sort of 
at least Sunday school knowledge of Daniel. Uh, and if you, if you don't, uh, go home and order a kid's Bible online and there'll be like at least two stories in there about the book of Daniel, one about people in fires and one about a guy in a lion's den. And you'll kind of know about as much as people who've been in church a long time. We, we know something of the book of Daniel and we see something of the th- that those themes in this first chapter of this kind of heroic commitment to faith. Daniel and his three friends, uh, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, or as they're more famously known, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these are courageous men. Courageous men who stand up for God in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Uh, And what I actually think we see is, is not so much... For heroes, though uh, their, their, their faith can inspire us, but rather uh, a message for us that a, a life of faithfulness uh, can, can exist because God is faithful even in the hardest of circumstances. So let's dive into this first chapter because it does bring up some of the things that are going to come up again in later chapters. We see in the opening verse that the book of Daniel is set after Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem. If you want to read about that more, you can have a look uh, in uh, 2 Kings 24. Uh, There uh, we read, and as we do in chapter 1 of Daniel, about how uh, the king of Judah is defeated, Jehoiakim, by Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, as uh, we read, we read that in Jehoiakim's kind of uh, uh, key uh, people group in the royal house, there are these men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And uh, they're uh, hauled off, we read, to uh, their new home in Babylon and given this new job. Now, it's pretty interesting as we start to read this um, uh, account to think about the mindset of Daniel and his friends. Because imagine that you were living uh, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, you've got a reasonably, a reasonably uh, good life. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army have come and besieged your town and you've lost that war uh, and uh, now you've been captured and taken off into exile Uh, and now you've arrived in this foreign city which has probably felt like a long way from home, you've experienced its its awe and its power uh, and if you've ever had the chance to, uh, let me encourage you one day when we can get on planes again uh, to go to Berlin and to go to the Pergamon Museum uh, and you can walk through the gates, the same sort of gates and, and entrance to, to Babylon that Daniel did. Uh, it, it's, it's sitting in this museum in, uh, in Berlin. Uh, and maybe next week I'll, I'll try and find uh, one, a photo if I was allowed to take a photo in that museum when I was there. And it's kind of awe-inspiring. There's all these lions there on the wall and, uh, and they're tall and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of quite a, an amazing experience. And you think, 
Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they've lost this war, they're, they're in this powerful place, they've been captured, they're probably thinking, I'm not quite sure how life is going to go, I'm certainly not quite sure why God has let this happen, after all we're supposed to be his people and, the, and we've just lost and the temple's been defiled... You know, we, we, we might expect that they're thinking, is God even real? Does he have any power? And then not only that, but they're not sure how their life's going to go. And what do we read about in verses 4 and 5? Have a look. They're selected because they're handsome and they're, they're handsome and smart, basically, verse 4. And they're selected to, to go and to learn. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table and they would be detrained for three years and after that they were into the king's service. So they've lost this war, they're in a foreign land, they're not sure how things are going to go, but they get selected basically to go to university and get free food and wine. Like, that's like most university students' dream. And so you could imagine that Daniel and his friends would be in the, in the kind of mindset that thinks, well, this is pretty good. Like, this is a pretty good outcome. It could have gone a lot worse. I could be, like, in a dungy jail. I could be getting whacked over the back of the head like my ancestors because I have to make bricks or something. Like, this could be going a lot worse. But here I am getting this free education, getting all this food... I'm just going to suck it, take it and see, because what help has God been to me anyway? But that's not what Daniel does, is it? For the royal food is not kosher. It's not clean. And so Daniel says, we read in verse 8, that he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So this food, this wine that they're giving him, it's not the kind of food that Daniel wants to eat as someone who is trying to be faithful to the law of God. And so he asked the royal official for permission not to defile himself by eating this food. And of course we see that the royal official is kind to David and lets him do this little test. He says, look, I'm a bit worried, verse 10, about uh, what the king's going to say if you uh, look malnourished, given he's giving you all this free food and wine. Uh, so how about we, we, we do this test, says Daniel. And so they do a 10-day test to see whether vegetables uh, will, will, will nourish them as well as the other food. And, of course, we read that it does. They look far better and healthier than the others do. And it's at this point that I want to tell you about the Daniel diet, uh, <laughs> which is definitely not what I want to do. Uh, this is not advice for how to eat. It, it, it is clearly in its presentation uh, a story about uh, we're, we're, we're meant to be surprised. It's surprising that Daniel and his friends uh, are healthier than those who had the other food. Like, that's actually a surprising outcome. So this is not a lesson in food, but it's a lesson in God's providence. God has provided 
this royal official to be kind to Daniel and he's provided strength from these lesser foods. Vegetables. Very lesser foods. And God has helped them and encouraged them to grow in knowledge and wisdom. And he's enabled them to have really, really, really good knowledge and wisdom. They not only look good and healthy and strong on the vegetables, but at the end of their three-year university degree, they're the top students. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, verse 18, set, to, set by the king, they were brought into his service, and the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. How interesting. When this chapter opens, and it opens with the defeat of God's people in God's city and their uh, exile to Babylon, we might be tempted to think, what on earth is God doing? But throughout the chapter, we see again and again and again the hand of God directing and controlling and protecting and providing. It is God, we read in the opening, uh, in the opening verses, who delivers the people into the hands of the Babylonians. That's not some battle that God lost with the Assyrian gods. That's the judgment of God on his people for their failure to live the way they were supposed, supposed to. God has his hand on the people at that moment and he continues to have his hand on his people in exile. It's God who directs the royal official to find favour, as I've said. And it's God who uh, provides sustenance to, to Daniel and his friends. It's God who gives them wisdom and understanding beyond all the others and it's then God who places these men into the royal courts uh, under the tutelage of the king so, uh, so that they can bring blessing, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, uh, to that new nation in which they find themselves. God is always there, always directing, always providing, always protecting and when we realize that suddenly Daniel and his friends seem, a, seem like they're not actually that heroic at all rather they're simply continuing to do what God's people everywhere should always do which is just trust God trust God and do what he says trust and obey as we sing sometimes for there's no other way And as we reflect on this opening chapter and as we'll see in coming weeks, there's a lesson here for us. That as we seek to follow God, 
in a world that is sometimes hostile and becoming more so, we need to continue to keep trusting him. There's a, a lot of people out there at the moment, if you kind of ever read Christian blogs, I don't know if that's a thing that you do, maybe it's just a thing that I do, but there's a lot of people who compare the, the age in which we live uh, to, to Babylon, uh, that, uh, that Christians are, uh, uh, can learn lots from uh, uh, the, the God's people living in exile in Babylon because nowadays, as Christians... Uh, we see a world, don't we, that is becoming increasingly hostile. So, for example, the, the man or woman who stood here a hundred years ago and, and, and preached to you was, was probably one of the key figures in this village of Lindisfarne. Last time I checked... I'm not that important in Lindisfarne. Maybe to you, but not to the general populace. And so uh, people say, see, we've moved into exile. Now, I, I think there's something in that if we, if, we, if we think of it as not the same, but an, an analogy. Uh, it's, 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 an, it's something that we can kind of use to compare ourselves to that that, that these people are in a similar situation to us, that in a hostile environment, but I don't think we were somehow in the promised land and that now we're in exile and that that somehow got something to do with our faithfulness. Uh, I think the trajectory of Christian history uh, is that God's people will continue uh, post-Christ to uh, seek to be faithful to him as we await the return of Christ and there's going to be high points and low points. But if we are in a low point now, then we can learn something from the low point of the people of the Old Testament. And what we think we learn is firstly that, as I've said, God is always there and he's always in control, even if he doesn't look like it. If you uh, were almost here 50 or 100 years ago when the ministers were men of renown. And you've experienced a decline in the importance of Christianity in your society, in this village. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't stop trusting God. Because he's still there, he's still in control, he's still directing and guiding this church and his people and he will still hold us in his hands even if things get worse and worse. God is always there. He's always in control even if it doesn't look like it and so we need to keep trusting God and we need to keep doing that especially when it seems foolish especially when uh, to uh, kind of a, a, a plain reading of the situation, it might uh, seem wise to just give up on him. The temptation for Daniel and his friends to simply eat, drink, be merry and learn the new ways to thrive in, Babel, in, in Babylon must have been exceedingly strong, exceedingly strong. 
and yet they chose to be fools and to reject the fine, the fine things and instead trust God. And as we see, they continue to do that even when their life is on the line. That's what those two famous Sunday school stories that we're going to come to are, are about. And so we too need to keep trusting God. And as we do that, as we remember that God is always there, and as we, as we trust him, even if it seems foolish, then God will be able to use us to bring blessing to our community, just as he uses Daniel and his friends to interpret the dreams and, and, and uh, bring uh, uh, wisdom to the, the house of the king. Uh, and, and in fact, what I think we might see more and more as we go on in this sort of uh, world where there are less people who uh, hold to, the, to basic Christian morality or who have a relationship with Jesus, I think we're going to see that we will be a people of blessing to our community more and more because hopefully uh, we'll be the people who... Uh, have it together somewhat. Not, not that we, you have to have it together to be in church, but, but that as we seek to, to trust God and to uh, obey God and to, to live out his way of, of living, which is the best way you can live, there's going to be hope and blessing in, in a community of people who are seeking to do that. And that that will bring blessing to the ungodly who, who God has handed over, as we, hear, as we read about in Romans, to their sin and, they, and, and they're just messing things up time and time again and, and they're reaping the, the benefits of, of all of their poor decisions. God is always there. He is always in control. So keep trusting him. And he will use us to bring glory to his name and blessing to our world. He will continue, no matter what is in front of us, to work out his salvation plan. And there is nothing that will sidetrack him. And as we do that, it might seem heroic. It might seem fantastic. We might think we can never do it, but actually, it's the only thing we can do. to just admit that without God, we're totally and utterly helpless and that we need his strength and power and help as we seek to navigate life in a sometimes hostile world. Mm -hmm.